Gary Parrish, it's Thursday, April 13th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and a lot has happened since we last talked on uh, this Ion College Basketball Podcast. The biggest things are good for the school's decisions uh, that Alonzo Trier and Miles Bridges have made. Zach Collins uh, from Gonzaga, he's off to the NBA draft. So is Oregon's Dylan Brooks. So is North Carolina's Justin Jackson. So are most of the people we expected to be in the NBA draft. Hasn't really been too many surprises so far. Uh, but Alonzo Trier, he at least was on the fence. He's not going to enter the NBA draft. He'll be back at Arizona. Miles Bridges, to me, this is the biggest surprise of all of the early decisions. Uh, he's going to return to Michigan State for his sophomore year. So Matt Norlander, you tell me, uh, what does this mean for Arizona? What does it mean for Michigan State? And should Kansas still be number one? In the preseason, top 25 and 1. What does it all mean? Uh, what does it all mean? I know. That's why we're here. Um, first of all, real quick on Kansas. I'll, we'll get to those guys. I am so still very much in on Kansas being the number one. I, I And if we, even if it's just us that are promoting that, because I get the feeling that, because you can actually make the argument for Arizona with Trier back, and if they get Raleigh Alkins back, or they get Brian Bowen signed. Listen, there's definitely something to do that. And also, just because, like, I almost think it's it's a little bit of a different look. Um, Arizona's always good, don't get me wrong, and they're ranked, you know, preseason top tens almost practically on the regular. But they have not been a preseason number one team in quite a while. Um, so I think that there might be a leaning toward, like, hey, it's someone different. But I still like what Kansas has coming back overall. So I would not, personally, I wouldn't move them just yet. Um, see what happens. This is a great day for college hoops because you get, it's not just that both these players are important players on two top, at two top 10 programs. They're also all American level players. Miles Bridges will have a chance at being a preseason first team, all American heading into next season and Trier will as well. And at worst, I would think would be a second team choice. So you get guys of that kind of impact returning at such significant programs uh, coincidentally, both these teams played each other to start the season this past season uh, out in Hawaii. It's it's a big-time deal, and unequivocally, Trier back, Bridges back. These are consensus top five teams. Might even wind up as consensus top three teams. We'll see how all these offseason top 25 and preseason top 25 shake out. But it would not surprise me if, if Michigan State and Arizona, by the time we got to October— we're both top three teams in basically every mainstream ranking. At the worst, they're both top five, though. Right now, I was just messing around with the top 25 and one. I'll retweet it a little later on tonight. I had Kansas one still, Arizona two, Michigan State three. And obviously, it's subjective. You could put those teams in any order or maybe even throw Louisville uh, in there, uh, North Carolina in there with them. But that certainly seems like a reasonable top three. Uh, Kansas, Arizona, and Michigan State, and it's uh, particularly with with Michigan State and, and Arizona and the announcements of the past couple of days. It's just a reminder of something I've said a lot. I think I've written a column about it. If not, perhaps I should. But we spend so much time every off season talking about recruiting classes, like you know who are the McDonald's All Americans coming into school, who are the one and done lottery picks, you know entering college. 
And often, the diff, the teams that are there at the end, the teams that end up being top five teams all year long, number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, they're not sparked by freshmen as much as they're sparked by an on-the-fence NBA player, like a guy who could have reasonably made a decision to enter the draft, but he decided not to, to do another year of college, and then he carries his team deep into the tournament or carries his team to just an incredible uh, regular season. We saw that this year. Justin Jackson, a year ago, could have reasonably entered the NBA draft. It would not have been the craziest thing in the world. But he decided to come back to school, and North Carolina won a national championship. He was the ACC Player of the Year. Josh Hart, this time last year, could have reasonably entered the NBA draft. It would not have been crazy. Uh, he returns to school, does another year. Villanova is the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. You could stretch it out however far you want to go. Dylan Brooks could have reasonably entered the NBA draft after last year, decided to come back to school, you know, helped get Oregon to a, a Final Four. So uh, I'm not going to say every you know great team every year benefits from this, but it is often the case. And right now, Michigan State and Arizona seem to be the best two candidates. Yeah, you have written that before, and they are the two best candidates. Um, particular, like UNC doesn't win the title without Justin Jackson. No, and it, it, like that does not happen. Um, they they could have in theory reached a Final Four if they got the right break, but they wouldn't have been a one seed and all that. So his decision changed the course of North Carolina history. There's no doubt about it. He could have reasonably gone last year, um, but basically was told, "Work on this, this, and this. You're not good enough." You know, you're probably going to be stashed in the D League. Comes back, really like vastly improves his game. I do see now. Bridges is projected as a, and it's almost like Trier's like in the same realm as Jackson would have been taken. Although I think Jackson is projects as just a much better player at the pro level than Trier. But Bridges, I think, can do what Jackson did because Bridges was really good this year. He was a top eight to ten freshman in college basketball from start to finish, and with his skill set as good as it was, I actually think there's still a lot of room for development in a very positive way there. When you, when you watch his game, he's, an, he's a very easy player to like because he's so athletic, but he's learned how to shoot. And I think that he could conceivably, with such a strong group of sophomores around him, he could conceivably get back next year and be even better and, and go from a top 10 to 15 pick this year to a top 5 pick next year. You can hear my son, by the way. We are so recording <laughs> We are so recording this uh, out of necessity uh, as he watches TV, but he has now picked up on the fact that I'm talking to a microphone and he's he's curious. But uh, but I'm done with my thought anyway. But uh, yeah, so I I do think that this will pay big dividends. I wrote this in the story, GP. I think it's good for him. It's obviously really good for Michigan State and good for college basketball. Is there a downside yet? Yeah, in theory, he gets injured, his stock gets hurt. Obviously, those things are always on the table. But I actually think he's a rare case where it almost it makes sense either way and it's ultimately his life so whatever but um i just think there's still enough room for growth there at the same time being a very dominant college player i think he's the perfect guy for it and i'm thrilled that he's coming back because he will be must watch next year without a doubt for the purposes of college basketball it's a it's a good day i mean you get miles bridges back you get alonzo trier back uh, so often we enter November and the casual sports fan has no idea who the best players in the country are because all the best players in the country from the year before aren't in school anymore. Um, you know, I, I think that's basically going to be the case next year. 
just even with these decisions, all the first team All Americans are gone. I think Bonzi Colson is probably coming back. But no, he, no, he's back. He's, back. he's definitely back, right? He, I he's think, definitely back. I think, that's, that's, that's a big one because it makes Notre Dame a top right. 15 team. GP, the only one here, and I don't know if you wanted to, and we can get to this eventually or whatever, but just as you're talking here, there is there are two decisions that linger out there that would be big in this realm. Grayson Allen. Uh, yes. Uh, and if I'm Grayson, personally, I don't come back. Uh, uh, I know his stock is volatile. I, I, it's just... Uh, I think we've even talked about that. I don't know. But, uh, and then also Nigel Williams-Goss, who could conceivably be the preseason player of the year if he came back and would make Gonzaga a Final Four contender again right. if he decided to come back. So, and you know he just made a Final Four, made a title game. So those are two really, really well-known college players that if they did come back, obviously it would benefit the sport in a big way if they decide to do it. That remains to be seen. Right. Um, but you know, my, my, my larger point is that typically – you, we we start doing preseason All American teams, and it's like guys who weren't on the All American postseason teams the year before. Um, and and to be clear, Bridges wasn't most people's first team, second team All American this year, um, but he is some. He's a recognizable name, and Trier is a recognizable name, maybe for not the the best reasons in the world. I mean, he's an awesome college basketball player, but he also had the, the PED positive test, whatever. Uh, but either way, these are two rec- – like, people know what Miles Bridges and Alonzo Trier look like. They know their names. They're going to be back in college. That's good. And your point about Bridges, I think, is important. You said it's his life. And Miles Bridges isn't a dumb guy. I'm not going to pretend to know him well, but, like, I've, I've been around him a little, and he doesn't strike me as the type of person who doesn't understand exactly what's at stake right now. All he has to do is sign with an agent, enter the draft, and he's a multimillionaire. Immediately. Doesn't matter what he ever becomes – He's a multimillionaire. Um, but, and I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating here because it's, it's relative to the Miles Bridges situation. There was a time when I looked at every projected lottery pick, and if they did not enter the draft, I thought they were stupid. I thought they were crazy. I thought they were irresponsible. I thought they were making a mistake. And I would write that column or, or send that tweet every single time. And then I, I, after Marcus Smart came back to Oklahoma State for his sophomore year, when he would have been a top five pick after his freshman year, I sat down with him then in Orlando because uh, uh, Oklahoma State was down at that event at the uh, Disney World. The, the then called Old Spice Classic, yes. The Old Spice Classic. And I sat down with Mar- uh, Marcus Smart. We were talking about all of this. And he said, I knew that if I turned pro, I would be a top five pick and I would be a multimillionaire immediately. But I wanted to come back to school, have a chance to go to a Final Four. Wanted to come back to school, have a chance to be a National Player of the Year. Wanted to come back to school just because I like being being in school. I like living with my best friend. These are all things that I would give up if I entered the draft. And while I know there's a risk involved, I'm just trusting that the millions of dollars are going to be there whenever I go take them. It's not going to go away. I know it can, but I don't think it will. And I just, this is what I wanted to do. And I walked out of that conversation going, you know what? How am I supposed to argue with that? How am I supposed to look at that kid and tell him he's stupid when he clearly thought this through? And I suspect Miles Bridges um, is of a similar mindset. That he knows that, yes, you are possibly leaving some money on the table. You are risking something. But you're willing to leave it on the table, probably just temporarily. And you're willing to risk whatever you're willing to risk. Um, whatever you're actually risking, 
because you just want to do college for another year. And to be clear, it is not the decision I would make. It is not the decision I would advise my children to make. But my, for a few years now, mindset on this has been this. As long as the young person who has real opportunities in front of him understands what those opportunities are and is willing to make an educated decision, even if it runs counter to what I would do, I'm never going to criticize that person. So a different me, a younger me, a dumber me, would have maybe written a column tonight saying, what is Miles Bridges doing? If he was the 11th pick in the draft, he'd be guaranteed X amount of dollars. It is irresponsible and reckless to to not grab that when you can. He's making a mistake. Hopefully he doesn't regret it forever. And now I just sort of like nod my head and say, good for you. I hope it works out. I hope you, whatever it is you want, I hope you get it. Every person's different because and, and listen, obviously, like Izzo, knowing Izzo, he would definitely be advising the kid to go without a doubt. There are people around him that would be advising him to go. There are so many pros to going right now, but next year's draft isn't quite as strong. If Bridges' shot gets even better, if he rounds out into even an even better perimeter defender, if he, he's got a solid handle now. What I'm getting at here is if he gets another year of experience under Tom Izzo, and undeniably improves his overall game. He'll be in a weaker draft and could wind up being even richer next year. Two points. One, Chris Dunn did this and it paid off. Chris Dunn could have left and been a lottery pick and came back, was a top three player in college basketball, and parlayed that into being a top five pick in the NBA. So it worked out there. However, a year ago at this very time, there was a player that was projected in the 10 to 15 range, a front court player, and opted to come back that will probably not work out as well this year for him as it would have last year that is Ivan Rabbit Cal who will still almost certainly be a top 25 pick but the general feeling among scouts and front office types is that if Ivan Rabbit left last year in a weaker draft than this year he would have without question been a lottery pick he wanted to come back better his game he did not have a bad year overall. He simply did not improve his standing, and now he's one year older, and with a stronger draft, he just gets sli- you know he slides down even more. Um, so you can look at it through either prism if you want. There have been plenty of guys like McDermott stayed. He could have gone. He went higher than he would have gone. Smart stayed. Could have gone. Went higher. Rab drops. Uh, Sullinger dropped. So you can look at. A number of guys, each person is different, uh, but ultimately, I'll, I'll tag it with this, Michigan State, he's got three other guys in that class that he went to MSU with, and maybe he's really close with Nick Ward, Josh Langford, and Cassius Winston, and maybe they've got uh, a great friendship and the tug of wanting to play for Izzo, be with those guys, have a chance at, a, at winning a national title, and he, he's got that much confidence, then by all means, because that's going to be the best sophomore class by far, in my opinion, in college hoops next season. So they, they could really have a special thing coming. Like I could totally see a situation where they make the final four and one of the predominant storylines is that foursome and how they grew to be because you almost never get that GP. You almost never get a strong freshman class that keeps itself together to become a strong sophomore class because inherently – if you're a strong freshman class, you have at least one one-and-done player, which means that player doesn't come back. Bridges is bypassing that, and because of this, they're going to have such a solid core of second-year players there in East Lansing. No, this is rare. Like, how often do you get a 
you know, consensus top five recruiting class, enroll and and be freshmen, and then actually all become sophomores together. Like it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen that often, but it's happening for Michigan State. And uh, somebody wrote this. It might have been Graham Couch. I think it was Graham Couch. He wrote that like you know Tom Izzo always has good teams, but he rarely has a legitimate national championship contender on paper. Like you look at the roster and you go, oh, no, that's a team that can win a national championship. They've got the pieces. Um, I, you know, like sometimes you look at them and go, well, they got Tom Izzo, so you know, don't count them out. But it's not often that his roster matches what we typically consider a national championship roster, and he absolutely does uh, have that now with the decision of Miles Bridges to return to school. And to be clear, he was a guaranteed lottery pick. Uh, so he is uh, passing on something that uh, Alonzo Trier isn't necessarily uh, passing on. But um, I could absolutely, uh, uh, as you pointed out, see him coming back to school for a sophomore year and, you know, A, getting better, but B, also taking advantage of a uh, a weaker draft and going, you know, if he was going to go 15th in this draft, I could see him going 5th in the next one. If he was going to go 13th in uh, this draft, I could see him going third in in the next one so uh, though he is clearly risking something and delaying millions um i could see a scenario very realistic scenario where he actually does benefit financially and in uh, countless other ways uh from making this decision um and either way like we pointed out it's a good thing for college basketball great thing for michigan state uh, the other big story um has uh, been the lawson story we uh have talked about them before uh, I believe on the last podcast because at the last week they had announced that they were going to transfer from Memphis. Uh, they subsequently committed to Kansas. I reported that uh, on Monday afternoon, and it has been wild because I wrote a column about it. And next thing you know, it's on pardon the interruption. Next thing you know, it's on highly questionable. It's you know I think most people who would be listening to this podcast know I live in Memphis. Watch PTI. I have not really seen it this week. They talked about the Lawsons on PTI. Oh, no. It was Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon ta- discussing uh, the Lawson situation. So, um, you know, I went on Tiki Barber's national radio show to talk about it because he was just fascinated by the whole deal. And sort of my position on all this has been, you know, Tubby Smith just mishandled it completely. And I know that some people don't have the stomach for catering to. Uh, the father of, of players or prospects and putting them on staff and all that stuff. But, like, it, it, this is the world of college basketball. And we're talking about the University of Memphis here. Um, there have been some people to, who've tried to say, well, this never worked. Well, go tell Larry Brown that. He's got a national championship because he put Danny Manning's father on staff. Bill Self won a national championship. He put Mario Chalmers' father on staff. So the truth is the problem uh, at the University of Memphis to the extent that there's been one over the past couple of years, it ain't the Lawsons. It's the lack of talent around uh, the Lawsons. So my sort of major point here is that uh, Tubby Smith like messed this up in a spectacular way because less than two weeks after getting the job last April at Memphis, he demoted Keelan Lawson. Keelan Lawson was a full-time assistant on Josh Pastor's staff. Uh, Tubby Smith demoted him, and... When I asked Keelan Lawson, you know, earlier this week, if you were still a full-time assistant at the University of Memphis, would Diedrich and KJ Lawson still be at the University of Memphis? He said, yes, of course. 
And so that means that the demotion cost you your two best players. It also has now cost you the opportunity to recruit uh, their younger brothers. Uh, there's a kid named Chandler Lawson and a kid named Jonathan Lawson. Chandler, and I know this is crazy because there's not nearly as well known as, as the Ball family. This family is a better basketball family than the Ball family that gets all the attention. You know, like, uh, obviously, uh, Lonzo Ball is terrific, uh, but LiAngelo Ball isn't even a top 100 prospect. And LaMelo Ball, according to most recruiting services, is not a top 100 prospect. Dedrick Lawson was a McDonald's All-American top 25 national recruit. K.J. Lawson was a top 55 national recruit. Jonathan Lawson is a top 25 national recruit in the class of 2000. I mean, Chandler Lawson, top 25 national recruit, uh, class of 2019 right now. And Jonathan Lawson, top 10 national recruit, class of 2021 right now. And, oh, by the way, Keelan Lawson's nephew is a kid named DJ Jeffries, also in the Memphis area. Top 10 national recruit, class of 2019. In other words, Keelan Lawson is literally related to five high major players or prospects, four of whom will ultimately likely go down as McDonald's All-American. And you had him on staff, and you demoted him, and it just cost you the opportunity to keep the older two and recruit the next three. And it would be one thing if you did it to if you did it because you were adding a like killer recruiter who could get you comparable talent, but Tubby Smith actually did it to to hire his own son, who is literally this week recruiting a Division two player, a kid who's there's a kid committed to Wachita Baptist in Arkansas. That's a Division two school. And Did Mep- you say Wachita, not even Wichita, but Wachita? Wachita. Wachita. Wachita Baptist. That is who Saul Smith is recruiting right now. In the same week that the University of Memphis lost the Lawson brothers and lost the ability to recruit the two younger Lawson brothers and their cousin, who's a top 10 national recruit, uh, the man that Tubby Smith replaced Keelan Lawson with on staff, his own son, is offering a division a player who's committed to a Division II school. So it's just a mess because Tubby was on Memphis Radio earlier today and he said a couple of things that just run counter to everything he's actually done. In other words, if Tubby Smith's opinion was this, because this is what some Memphis fans will try to tell you, they'll say, um, they'll say, hey, you don't need to cater to a parent to, to this extent. Um, you know, there's a lot of basketball players in this country. You don't have to just focus on Memphis. Ball, you know, the, the, the Lawsons are cancerous and they, they don't unite any good with them anyway, so on and so forth. Like if Tubby Smith would have echoed those thoughts on radio this morning and, and basically said this, you know what? Um, we won 19 games with the Lawson brothers last year. Uh, I'm shooting for something more. And if I have to tear it down to build it up into that, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to cater. I'm not going to affect my staff simply to have two players on campus. And by the way, um, I know that there have been Memphis coaches who have recruited Memphis heavily in the past to be successful, um, but I don't think I need to do that. The, this is a, a, a country with a lot of players. It's a world with a lot of players. I'll go all over the world to get players. I don't have to be heavily reliant on Memphis players. And so, therefore, if I cannot recruit the next two Lawsons because I didn't want to keep their father on staff, then so be it. We'll be fine. I would disagree with every bit of that, but it would at least line up pretty good with his actual actions this morning on radio and you wouldn't know this but he said he said oh god we would have we wouldn't have even won 10 games this year without the Lawsons can you imagine if we didn't have them and I'm like uh well then why did you demote their father 
Like if you really value them to the same extent I think you ought to, why would you demote their father? And then he said it is critical going forward for us to be able to recruit Memphis. I agree. Then why would you demote their father? Because the three best Memphis prospects in high school right now, I cannot overstate this. They're literally related to Keelan Lawson. Two of them are his sons. One of them is his nephew. Meantime, his wife coaches one of the team penny teams. Like So the family that is controlling one of the local AAU teams and is related to the three best prospects in the city, you, you demote the father of that family? And keep this in mind. While Keelan Lawson was a full-time assistant at Memphis, because his sons play for Team Penny, the 16 and under team, guess who has access to every Team Penny workout and game? Because right. he's a father. The NCAA can't tell a father that you can't be there, even if the father is a Division One assistant. So all Tubby Smith had to do, oh, and by the way, if one of the kids ever thinks about turning pro, you just bump the father's pay. You say, no, keep him one more year. Here's an hundred, extra $150,000. You could legally pay him whatever you wanted to pay him to keep his kids and his nephew in school for as long as they were willing to do it. You could have put him in a polo shirt with a Memphis logo and said, hey, your job is to go to Team Penny workouts every single day. No other assistant coach in the country can be in the gym, but you can. Develop relationships with those other parents. This is how we're going to get this done. And you demote the guy and squander all of that? I mean, it really is just amazing and by the way Memphis six of its top eight players have announced uh, transfers it's not just the Lawson's it's also Markel Crawford it's also Keon Clairjeau who was committed to Tubby at Texas Tech followed him to Memphis now he's gone too and so right now and I really don't think this is true anywhere else in the country exactly two scholarship players who played a minute for Memphis this past season are set to return next season that's it two that's it Parrish uh, I mean I- <laughs> this is a disaster. Um, I, I honestly feel as though this is going to be uh, like this feels easy to say, but I, I do think it's true. I mean, this is going to be the decision that leads to Tubby Smith not being the head coach at Memphis one year from now. Um, the possibility that he's able to coach this team to some sort of 20 win season next year seems remote. When you lose this much talent, when you've had so many transfers leave, it's obviously severely problematic and so damaging to you from a recruiting aspect. I don't know if Tubby Smith can coach his way out of this. This already feels like it's done. Um, There are obviously reasons in play for uh, him demoting Keelan and putting his son on staff. Maybe there are other logistical things that I'm not aware of. It's uh, no, it's just it's you can't make this move. And, and now in retrospect, it's, it's blown up on him. I will say this, though. You know, there was a Snapchat video that had was, you know, a Snapchat. Naturally, the videos expire after 24 hours. But someone has now preserved it because I was able to watch it on Twitter today. Right. And it is KJ you know, F-bombing Tubby on his way out, and it's just a tremendously terrible look. And from an outward perspective, this at least, because Tubby Smith is a good man. Like, I I don't, you know, there's no doubt about that. Um, He had his reasons for doing what he did with Keelan, and it's probably going to cost him the Memphis job, and I'm of the belief that it will cost him the Memphis job after two years on on the Memphis staff. But for all that I don't know, 
um, you know, he might be thrilled with the fact that he does not have to deal with either KJ or Diedrich and KJ or whatever. There might be too much of a remember like Gary Williams at Maryland and how he simply refused to play the game right. toward the end of his career. Yeah. And that basically got Gary Williams out of Maryland maybe sooner than he would have even liked. But he just refused to play the game. He was not going to do it. He was very vocal about it. He was very critical about some of the elements that had come into be realities in terms of coaching college basketball in the year 2005 as opposed to the way it was in 1990 or whatever. Um, maybe Tubby's got a lot of those genes as well, Gary. And even though he's taken huge PR hits, uh, perhaps he's sleeping better at night knowing that he doesn't have to deal with certain elements. Maybe or maybe not. I'm openly speculating here. But what is undeniable is that the, the KJ video is such a bad look for the family. And now it's another thing like it's another thing for Bill Self because these guys are going to go to Kansas. Right. Bill Self, who had his own off-court issues with other players, and that's a whole other kettle of fish there. But it's just another thing of, hey, there's some crap going on with some guys that are going to be in Kansas uniforms away from the court. You know, How do you think Bill Self feels when a video like that gets out? Yeah. Um, it complicates the matter even more. And if there was any one thing that could make Tubby look good in this, right. it, it, that's the only thing that could have happened, and it happened. Right. Uh, is it just an impossibly uh, an, an impossible uh, video to try to defend? Like I like that family a lot. I've known them for years. I can't, like KJ's an idiot. Like that was that stu- it's a bad look. Like you won. The entire city's turned on your former coach. You get to go to Kansas. You won. Just exit gracefully, like Markel Crawford is ex. Markel Crawford saying all the right things publicly. I don't know why KJ couldn't just take the high road, other than he's just uh, incredibly immature and and and, yeah. and and a little bit of a mess. Um, I guess I would say this because I've had some Memphis fans ask me, like, "Well, does this change your mind about how Tubby handled the Lawson situation?" No, it, you know, um, no. It is possible to say KJ Lawson is an idiot and Tubby Smith mishandled the Lawson situation like both those things can be true and so as for how it Bill will handle it I mean whatever he'll he'll handle it it'll be fine or it won't be fine but like let's like Bill Self had dudes allegedly do a lot like Josh Jackson kicked in a woman's car all right uh LeGerald Vick allegedly hit a woman like like none of this is good but like this ain't that so they'll deal with it however they deal with everything else at Kansas um but the problem ultimately for Tubby, and I don't know if it'll be a two-year deal or a three-year deal, but the problem ultimately is, you know, in my lifetime, and I'm 40 years old, uh, every successful coach at Memphis has relied heavily on Memphis players except for John Calipari. And the reason John Calipari didn't have to is because he's John Calipari. He could go to Baltimore and get the best kid, Detroit and get the best kid, Chicago get the best kid, Atlanta get the best kid, whatever. Uh, no other coach has been able to consistently do that at Memphis. Tubby Smith ain't going to be the first. Um, on the day that Tubby was hired as Memphis' coach, there were four former top 100 high school players in the program and another, Charlie Moore, committed to, to join the program, signed to join the program. So that's a total of five. Uh, the Lawsons have both left. Marco Crawford is leaving. Uh, Nick Marshall transferred to a junior college last offseason, and Charlie Moore went to Cal and averaged 12 points per game this season. On the day Tubby Smith was hired, they had five top 100 players either in the program or signed to join the program. Right now, they have zero. In other words, they've lost five and added zero. His staff has not signed, committed, enrolled, anything. 
uh, resembling a top 100 prospect. And ultimately, that's going to be his undoing because he now can't recruit Memphis because he just demoted, you know, because he demoted the, the man who's related to the best Memphis players. If you can't recruit Memphis, you better be John Calipari. He's not John Calipari. And so good luck. Uh, because I don't think there's any doubt that he will be able to do at Memphis what he did at Texas Tech, even though it might take a little longer at Memphis to do at Texas Tech. His ultimate problem is going to be what he did at Texas Tech um, will get you named Big 12 Coach of the Year. You do that same thing at Memphis, it'll get you fired. What you did at Texas Tech ain't good enough at Memphis because Memphis fans have never wanted to recruit three-star prospects and try to be good. Historically, regardless of the coach, they recruit four stars and five stars and try to be great. That's why three different men have taken Memphis to a Final Four. Uh, they recruit four and five stars and try to be great. When your philosophy is recruit three stars and try to be good, uh, you, you're almost you're almost set to fail uh, from the very beginning. Remember, you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, take care.